Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. Tomorrow it's going to be one year since we uh, became a church as Mosaic Church. We came together and we signed a document to become members of a church. And that same night, uh, you guys installed Pastor Brandon and myself as pastors of this local church. And the next day we met for worship. Uh, just a few days previous to that, we didn't even know where we, where we were going to meet. We thought we were going to be meeting outside in the dead of winter uh, at my house uh, up until a few days before that. And, uh, and God came through. And that's kind of how our story has been. We had our great plans at the end of 2019 for this church, and we were like, we know that this is going to go, but uh, the, real, the, the reality of it is that our best laid plans sort of met their end at the end of 2019. Um, we had all the plans in the world for Mosaic in 2020, but God ordered our steps. We've baptized and we've prayed We've fasted and we've worshiped and, and we've broken bread together. That's an amazing thing. We've developed friendships that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise, and we've welcomed new members to this church, and we have rejoiced and mourned together, and that's an amazing thing. But none of it has gone as we really planned, did it? Um, but the reality is that God was working. As one of your pastors, I, I want you to be aware of how much God has worked and is working in and through each and every one of you. I've seen it. I've had a first, like a first row seat on your lives to see how God is using you, and he is. Maybe you think that the little mundane stuff you do every day doesn't matter, but the reality is that it does, and it touches people's lives in ways that you couldn't even imagine. God is working through you. And, and I got to see it. And I praise God for that. That's an amazing thing for me to be able to say, that I got to see God working in and through each of you. And I've got to see it even more acutely, uh, strangely enough, while I've been away. Um, when, when I went to the hospital in November, uh, I thought I'd probably be out later that day. That, you know, this is just a little bit of weakness from COVID and, you know, they're going to give me a B12 shot or something and send me home. Um, and maybe, or maybe I'd stay for the following day. They'd want to keep me for observation, but that wasn't the case. Um, little did I know that, that I'd be isolated, paralyzed and close to death in just the, the few days following. And, uh, but I got to see God working not only in my own heart, but more particularly in this church through each and every one of you, and it has been a, a true blessing. Um, and I'm even more certain now than ever that, that truly in everything, God is working. And not only is he working, he's working it all for the good of his people and for his glory. Romans 8.28 and 11.36 tell us this. If you want to go find some scripture proofs, it's right there. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I preached what... I thought might have been my last sermon ever, 
we left our previous church and, and I preached a sermon and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be a pastor again, if I was ever going to ministry again. I thought, what could I tell people? What could I, could, what, what could I leave people with in my last sermon? And I preached, God is working with my whole heart at the time. But I had no idea how prophetic that would be for 2020 or how much more I would believe it now having been through what I've been through in this tor- torturous, lonely, and honestly terrifying ordeal that I've been through over the last few months. Today, um, I'm going to give you some parts of my story, um, but I'm not going to try to cover everything. The reality is that, A, it would take far, far too long, and you guys don't have that kind of time. Uh, and secondly, it's not what a sermon's about. I hope that you don't walk out of here with a story about me, but you get a story about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And that's my core hope today is that you will walk away with Jesus, but that hopefully you're going to get that through some of my story because I think it would be a huge disservice not to share some of what has happened in me and and, uh, that God has been teaching me over uh, the course of the last several months. So uh, here's sort of the basic story in case some of you haven't been around for that. most of you know this. In October, Ashley and I, uh, we came down with COVID, and uh, after two, maybe three weeks of, of fevers, body aches, and exhaustion, Ash started feeling a little bit better, uh, but I took a, a turn for the worse. Um, I, uh, I spiked a 104-degree fever. I had an allerg- allergic reaction to medication that they gave me uh, at the hospital, and, uh, and I took two trips to the emergency room, um, and that was all before I got admitted. Uh, I felt awful, and the last thing I wanted to do was to go back to the emergency room for the third time. But on November 6th, I, I crouched down to pick something off off the floor, and I couldn't stand back up. Eventually, I, I crawled my way to where I could pull myself up by my arms. Uh, and I thought maybe, like I said, maybe this is just weakness from COVID, and, and that's it. But I knew that if I got stuck on the floor or in the bed, that it's going to be hard to move me. I'm a big dude. Um, so I was like, hey, we need to just call an ambulance and, and get get me to the hospital and we'll figure things out. Um, but uh, the reality was that uh, when I got in that ambulance, I, again, I thought I was just going to be there for a little while, but uh, that didn't turn out to be the case. Over the next few days, I learned two important things about myself. One, I'm claustrophobic to some degree. It's a good thing to know, I suppose, but um, you know, spending a total of two and a half hours uh, in a, an enclosed tube getting three different MRIs uh, was downright traumatizing. Uh, and you know, they, they give you music, but it doesn't really help. It's pretty awful. Uh, if you can avoid an MRI, I suggest avoiding it. Um, but joyfully, because of those tests, I, I found out that I didn't have any tumors on my spine or on my brainstem, uh, or, and I tested negative for pretty much every other serious thing that they could possibly think of. Um, but as a very rationally minded person, hearing that they couldn't diagnose me with MRIs and blood tests and everything else was pretty worrisome, right? Uh, it, okay, let me be more honest. It was terrifying at that point in time that I was becoming gradually paralyzed by a disease that nobody could identify, Right, that's some scary stuff. Um, but through a process of deduction, after m- multiple days and more tests, they diagnosed me with acute inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, AIDP. Um, 
Specifically, that's a disease that uh, attacks the wrapping on your nerves and, uh, and destroys that. It's an autoimmune thing. Um, and uh, you can get all the details if you want to on Google, but it's a scary thing. And the uh, weird thing is that this was literally the best case scenario they could, could have possibly given me uh, as far as a diagnosis, but it came with a 20% mortality rate. It's pretty scary stuff. Um, and over the next few days, my worst fears came true. Um, you guys know me pretty well at this point. I've never been very athletic. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Um, but I've always been able to do, like, physically whatever I needed to do, you know. Uh, there's nothing that I, that I was like, no, 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 I can't, I absolutely can't do that, you know. Um, but with AIDP, your body produces these antibodies that attack your nervous system, and so I ended up being able to move my legs, my arms, and my face over the next several days. Um, I was completely conscious, um, but I couldn't speak or write clearly. And when I tell you that these are my worst fears, uh, I'm not joking. Um, being fully conscious and yet unable to effectively speak, write, or do anything for myself was mind-breaking for me. Um, on top of that, my, my respiratory system also started shutting down because that the same nerves that control the rest of your muscles control your diaphragm. And so... Uh, I w my lungs were actually doing less than 25% of what a normal person's lungs were doing. So I ended up hyperventilating half the time on top of all the anxiety that I felt. And uh, the reality was that I wasn't too afraid of death itself, mostly because of the passage that we're going to look at today. But um, I've always been worried about the, the means of my death. And uh, if, if you asked me, you know, what, what are you most scared of when it comes to that? It was precisely this. Um, yeah, the, the last few months have literally been my worst nightmare on steroids. Um, and I've said it many times now uh, to different people, harrowing is the only word I can possibly use to describe what was going on. If you don't know what harrowing, harrowing means, uh, it's actually a, an agricultural term. Uh, it means plowing up or disturbing uh, torturous or tormenting come up if you look for other words around that, and that's precisely what I felt. To be completely transparent, I, anxiety completely overwhelmed me in those days, and um, I, I've never been one to have panic attacks, but they happen regularly in the hospital. Um, I, in fact, I had to be medicated with three different medications just in order to take the edge off, and I was still having panic attacks. It was downright horrifying. Um, for several days, I was actually closer to death and, and insanity than I've ever been. Um, I know that Ashley shared some of what uh, you guys, uh, what I've been through with you guys uh, on on Slack and, and in social media, but uh, the reality is it was far worse than she could even bring herself to say uh, on those different means of communication. Um, I mean, if you thought that I was some kind of a Superman Without any spiritual weaknesses, uh, you'd be wrong. I questioned God in those days. Uh, I found it hard to pray anything other than just please help me. Um, on slightly better days, I, I brought myself to pray the, the simple prayer from uh, the, the psalm that we read this morning. Uh, Lord, I confess that you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. And I said confess because my heart and mind were having a really hard time seeing it. I confessed what I knew to be true from the scripture, but I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't thinking it. 
But in the worst moments, God's grace broke through, and the Holy Spirit reminded me of his word. <laughs> Strangely, it wasn't Psalm 23, if you guys are familiar. This actually would have been really appropriate. And, uh, and I love this verse. And I always rem- remember it in the, uh, the New King James. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That would have been totally appropriate, right? You'd think that I would have remembered that in those moments, but I didn't. I love that passage. But it was Philippians 121 that came to mind. It said, For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And that's where we're going to be today. Uh, if you want to flip over to Philippians 1. I want to walk you through how God taught me through uh, this passage and the situation I was in and through these verses around it during my darkest days of life so far. And uh, I'm going to hopefully help, help you to apply it to your own lives, even if it's just the way that you approach life itself. Um, so why don't you guys stand with me if you're able. Um, believe me, I know how it feels to not be able, so if you're not, that's okay. Um, but why don't you guys stand with me as we read this. Uh, in Philippians 1, 19 through 26, we're going to be focused on 21, but we're going to use a lot of this around it. It says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation, hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live as Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ, because of my coming to you again. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity that I have to, to share this with your people today. I pray that you would bless your word. Lord God, I would not say anything that simply for me, but Lord God, that I would give them Christ Jesus. And that Lord God, they would see him through me, a broken vessel. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. If you looked at your uh, bulletins today, I have to admit this, uh, the title of this sermon is probably uh, a little darker than you might imagine. Um, a lot of people only use the phrase, uh, the best is yet to come uh, for, for New Year's or for, uh, you know, an anniversary of some sort. They make promises about how much better things are going to be in the next year or, or how much awesome stuff we're going to do. And while those are great things to, to hope for, honestly, I'm just too much of a realist to make those sorts of promises for you guys? Because, like, really, like, think about it. If you'd said that in the beginning of 2020, I'm pretty sure you'd have been wrong, yeah? But there are some great ways to spin this phrase, and it really works out. So the, the best is yet to come in that God's mercies are new every morning. That's an amazing thing, and we can promise the best is yet to come in God's mercies because they are new every morning. And yet the best and truest way to understand this phrase might be the best is yet to come 
because this life pales in comparison to eternity with Jesus. In fact, that's probably the only way I can really make that promise. And in my darkest days over the last few months, I was comforted by a single phrase of this whole passage we just read, to die is gain. I know that sounds morbid, all right? That's a, that's a heavy thing to say. Uh, and honestly, it's not just morbid, it's, it's risky, right? With so many people suffering from depression and, and suicidal thoughts and things like that nature, uh, you could horribly misconstrue that phrase. So before we jump in, I, I, I want you to hear, like, I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm not talking about suicide. If you're having those kinds of thoughts, please talk to someone today. You can talk to me or Pastor Brandon or anybody else. Talk to somebody. Um, because Paul's writing here, and my own experience with this is not an excuse to take your own life or even consider it. God has given you life for a purpose, and we're going to get there today. Okay, but we got to start with to die is gain. And so we need to deal with this. Like, this is dark stuff. We want to talk about death today. But we really do need to engage with it. At some point, we are all going to die. Death will come for us. Whether it's today, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is there after death? And I'm certainly not the only one who has experienced this over the past year. I mean, if you haven't been confronted with the thought of death, then you've probably had your head in the sand. And this pandemic has, has forced all of us to consider death in some way, right? Others have come close to it themselves, and others have, uh, have even experienced the loss of friends or family. We're confronted with death, especially this past year. But the reality is that we, we need to engage with it. We can't just run from it. We can't just stick our heads in the sand. The reality is, unless Jesus comes back soon, we will all die one day. Hebrews 9.27 says it well. Man is appointed to die once. After that comes judgment. That's a promise from Scripture. It will happen. And if Romans 3.23 is true, then we are all going to be judged to have fallen short unless someone stands in the gap for us. Matthew twenty two eleven through 13 puts it a little bit more clearly, though, in the form of a parable. The end of uh, this parable that Jesus is telling about a wedding feast. Uh, it says, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man there who had no wedding garment. This wedding garment would have been necessary for you to partake and participate in this, in this party. And he said to him, to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That parable is a scary thing for all those outside of Christ. That wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ, which we inherit by faith. If we trust in Jesus, we have that wedding garment, but if we don't, Death is not gain. It is absolute and utter loss. But for all those who trust in Christ Jesus, death is truly gain because he stands in the gap for us. He clothes us in his righteousness and he welcomes us into eternity with open arms. For the Christian, death is gain. For me, um, 
lying paralyzed in a hospital bed, unable to function, I, I found hope in, the, in that phrase, to die is gain, because I knew that Jesus would be on the other side. I knew that I could look forward to walking again. I could look forward to talking again. I could worship with God's people again. Sure, the idea of death was sad on one hand because I'd leave my loved ones behind, and, but I was hopeful that I would see each and every one of you in eternity. Death is gain for the Christian. We clearly see this in passages like Revelation 21, 3 through 4, which is a promise of the new heavens and new earth after eternity, after heaven, after death. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In my darkest moments, the promise of no more mourning, crying, or pain gave me hope. But really, those aren't even the best reason in that passage or the one we just read. Paul gives it to, to us in verse 23 of Philippians 1. My desire is to depart and what? He wants to die and, be, and what? Be with Christ. For that is far better. To be with Christ is far better than this life. And so while a relief from suffering and sin and brokenness in this world are valid reasons to see death as gain, Paul reminds us of something far, far more important. After death, we get God. Perfect communion with our Savior. Think about your, your most perfect, dearest and most loving relationship with any human being. In fact, if you want to, feel free to just imagine one. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's a friend, I don't care. Maybe it's somebody you haven't even met yet, but you want to come up with something like that. Imagine that. God loves you with a love that is far, far greater than that. And we will see it 100% perfectly clearly and feel it more presently and understand it more fully when we go to be with him in heaven. Your most perfect, loving, and amazing human relationship will pale in comparison to the relationship that you will have with Jesus in eternity. Here and now, these things are in some sense veiled to us. We can't see it with perfection. We don't understand what it means to have perfect communion with God But after death, we will have perfect communion with our Savior. Because of this, we need not fear death. In fact, while we shouldn't hasten the day on which our death comes, when we do finally approach it, whether today or 50 years from now, we should find comfort in the verse that's before us today. To die is gain. More poetically, J.I. Packer puts it this way in his concise theology. I love this. I'm going to get a print made with this on it. Christians should view their own forthcoming death as an appointment in Jesus' calendar, which he will faithfully keep. 
even in death, God is working. In the past three months, there were days when I I really only thought about to die as gain. That was it. Just a few words. But those very days were actually the days when God used people to encourage me and to hold me steady. From great nurses to churches I'd never heard of praying for me to friends visiting me in the hospital, the the reality is that God used the smallest things from just his church, his people, to keep me going. In fact, um, interestingly, the worst day that I had, and I don't even know if Brandon knows this now, but the worst day that I had both mentally and physically uh, was the very day that he had already scheduled for you guys to pray with me, or pray for me for 24 hours. He had no idea that that was going to happen. I didn't either. I have no doubt at all. Maybe, maybe, maybe you thought that these prayers are small things. Maybe you prayed for 10 seconds. You were like, Lord, please help Greg. And that was it. Maybe you thought that that was insignificant or it wasn't enough. The, the reality is that like, I couldn't even use my phone, but I saw stuff coming through like in Slack. I could see like you guys saying, hey, I'm praying for Greg. I could see that. And I have no doubt that you guys praying for me, even those small, seemingly insignificant prayers perhaps, that God saved my life through your prayers. No doubt. No question at all. Soon after the, that 24-hour period of prayer and that terrible day, um, everything turned around. Things started getting better, and to be honest with you, only then, only at that point, only after God had, had done something miraculous through your prayers did I remember the other part of the verse we looked at today, to live as Christ. The only thing I was focused on at the time was to die as gain. I just, I just wanted to be done with this. But at that point, I realized that God was doing something. He was reminding me not only is to die again, but to live is Christ. And this, this is the ultimate view of life for the Christian. While departing to be with Jesus is far better than the brokenness and the sin and the death and the sickness of this life, we were not created to simply wait around for death to take us. To live is Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are not called only to inherit eternal life. Yes, you are called to that. But you are also called to live in obedience to God. Broadly, that means living a life that begins and ends with love for him and for your neighbor. To live is Christ. It's not about you. Our church has a a saying that's on the back of all the black t-shirts that you see around here sometimes. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus, and for the Christian, that must be true. Philippians 1, 22 through 26 says this. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, 
My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you have, may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And I'm not going to claim all that, but man, that was an encouragement to me. I thought, maybe there is reason to fight. Maybe there's reason to get better. Maybe there's reason to, to do this. Paul saw this. Despite being in prison, he, he understood what it meant for him to live. He, he said, my personal preference is to depart and be with Jesus. That was a terrible time for him. And yet, his life wasn't about himself. It was about the glory of God. It was about preaching the gospel to a world that needed a savior. And it was about the good of the body of Christ. In Philippians 2, 14 through 26, he goes on to say, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Important part here is you shine as lights in the world. If to live is Christ, then living can't just be about us. Even the pursuit of holiness, as we see in this passage I just read, can't be just about us. It's really easy to think of rooting out sin and pursuing righteousness as something we just do for ourselves, isn't it? The pursuit of holiness, often th we think of that as something that's internal. I just do this for my own heart. Maybe it's for my own good. We treat the pursuit of holiness like a hobby. We do it when we get around to it, but there, there are, you know, we'll you know, use some time to spend on it, but there are other priorities that make a bigger impact. You know, I could spend 30 minutes praying and considering my own sin and, and how I can do something different tomorrow, or, you know, I could reach 3,000 people by posting an inspirational quote on Instagram. It's easy, right? It's easy to say, yeah, that's the thing to do, because you can reach 3,000 people. But holiness is a long-term pursuit, but I guarantee you it will have longer-lasting effects than a story on Instagram. What if we pursued holiness like we pursue a bigger paycheck? Just... Bear with me, I'm not talking about this in a greedy way, okay? What I'm saying is that with a bigger paycheck, what, what could you do with that? We, you could provide for your family better. You could give more to the church. You could help your community. How wonderful would it be if you pursued a bigger paycheck? You, you guys get this. How cool would it be if you could really provide for your family the way you want to? It affects other people. What if you pursued holiness like it actually affected other people, but it was a longer-term goal? It's not just a flash in the pan. It's not going to be an overnight change. But when we pursue holiness, others will respond to it. What if we pursued holiness like it actually affected not just us? It wasn't just for our good, but it was for the good of those around us. And it was for the good of the whole world. Holiness alienates us from the culture around us. Yeah, it's risky. 
But that differentiation allows our lives to shine brightly against the darkness of the world. And when we see, when the world sees those, sees those lights, how we can face a pandemic without fear, without being paralyzed in fear at least. When we can take a stand for what's good and right, when we deny our flesh and live selflessly for the sake of others like Jesus did, when the world sees that, they're going to go, that's different. But if the church looks just like the world, then we've got a problem. Think about it. Just over the last year, if everybody in the world is engaging with the idea of death in some way, and they're asking for answers, who are they going to go to? Is it going to be the church that doesn't live what they preach? Or is it going to be the church that pursues holiness as well as doctrinal clarity? Not only do we have answers, we live like it. By living our lives as if this isn't all there is, as if holiness was worth the cost of all the things from this world we could possibly gain, the church acts as that true beacon of light against the darkness of the world. And in so doing, our lives will lend weight to the gospel we preach. It's so easy for us as reformed people to get so caught up in being doctrinally clear or theologically consistent and ignore how we live. What if we did both? What if we did both? What if modesty, graciousness, reasonableness, and purity and genuine love characterized this church? What if foul language and coarse joking and gossip and sexual immorality weren't accepted among us? What if we saw those things and we ran from them like we should? Let's not get our theology right while we ignore the sin in our lives. The world needs a biblical gospel of grace. Don't hear me saying anything else. But it also needs a church that hates sin like Jesus does. And when both of those are true, man, the church truly shines like the beacon of light, like God intended it. I'm not telling you that you have to be a perfect Christian or whatever that means. If you guys know me, you know I'm not saying that, so don't try to misconstrue me so that you can give yourself an excuse to not pursue holiness. The pursuit of holiness is important. God's word tells us. I'm not saying pursue holiness so that you can be saved. I'm saying you're saved, so pursue holiness. To live as Christ, because God wants us to reach the lost through both preaching the gospel clearly and living like it's true. Even more to live as Christ, because we need one another to persevere in the faith. See, our lives aren't just gospel beacons. They're not just useful for evangelism or conversion of the lost. No, no, no. Our lives are bulwarks of support for our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Philippians 1.25, Paul says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
Jesus, or, uh, Paul wanted to, wanted to go and be with Jesus, but he knows that the churches will be far better with him. And while it's easy enough to write that off and go, well, Paul was an apostle. Like, why would the church need me? Of course they need Paul. Why would they need little old me who maybe, like, you think you're, you're small pickings. <laughs> you don't really do much. You don't, maybe you're not as helpful as you, you think you could be or that you should be. I can't tell you how far away that is from reality. When Paul said that, I guarantee you it applied to every single Christian. It is far better for you to remain for the sake of the churches, for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture states plainly how, uh, how much we need one another. In Philippians 1.27, which we didn't read this morning, but we will in a second, Paul states that his desire is that they would stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, we want, he says I want you guys to be united. I want you to stand together. I want you to give one another support. And that phrase there reminds me of another passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20. It says this, as it is God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. There is a nerve in my left eyelid. Strange sentence to utter, right? I assume for most of you, that nerve works and you literally never think about it. But I think about it all the time. Because for you, you take it for granted. You're like, when I blink, I blink, and it's fine. Well, for me, that one little nerve in my face, along with others, just doesn't work the way it should. Maybe you think that seems like a small thing. You're like, man, like, why are you talking to me about a little nerve in your eyelid? Uh, but I am acutely aware of how little that tiny little nerve functions, uh, or not functions, as I should say. First, uh, my eye doesn't close completely when I blink. My right eye does, left eye doesn't. You're like, that doesn't seem like such a big deal. Okay, well, that leads to, the, to me having, uh, that leads to me actually uh, closing my eyes and looking like I'm rolling my eyes at you. So that can be a little awkward. Ashley has been like, are you rolling your eyes at me? I'm like, no, I just tried to close them and it didn't work out. <laughs> there you go. Second, uh, because my eye doesn't close all, all the way, it, it gets dry, right? So it's hard for me to see at times. And uh, thirdly, kind of going off of that, because it's hard to see, it's really difficult to read anything, which is pretty important for a guy who's a software developer and a pastor. I'm very aware that that one little tiny insignificant nerve in my eyelid doesn't work. I, that, that, I mean, I took it for granted my whole life. I was like, when I blink, I blink, and that's all. I don't even have to think about blinking. My eyes just do it automatically. But that one little nerve just doesn't work. Just like that one little nerve in my eyelid, your part in the body of Christ might seem small or insignificant but I promise you that it's necessary. Every single one of you. I mean, maybe you think you could do more. You're like, oh, I, could, I have these gifts and you know, nobody's using them. 
And, and that's a wonderful thing. If you have gifts, like, please let us know and let, tell us, like, hey, I don't feel like I'm being utilized the way I, I, I want to be, and I, I feel like I could do this for the church. That's a wonderful thing. I, tell me or, or Pastor Brandon, we'll, like, have that conversation with you. Um, but don't be too frustrated if you're doing things that are smaller or lower key than you might like. And one word of encouragement might save someone's life. Talking to a coworker about Jesus might lead to their eternal salvation. Greeting someone at the door here at church might be the difference between them coming back to church or not, maybe never going to church again. Small things. Smiling at someone or saying hello, not in a creepy way, all right? Just saying hello to somebody, somebody that you don't know might make them feel welcome when they walk into this place or walk into your home. Whereas without that one smile, they might have felt rejected. Small, seemingly insignificant things making eternal differences. God is working. Whether your gifts and abilities seem mundane or flashy, maybe, you know, you're a toenail and not an eye. God has a plan and purpose for you in the body of Christ. I know it. Use whatever gifts he's given you for the good of others, even if it's simply the gift of time. Given my experience over the last few months, I can tell you that we're not assured of that gift every day. Use it wisely. On my darkest day, knowing that you guys were praying for me kept me going. Like I said, it might have seemed small. But I reckon in some way, truly, that saved my life. God was working through your prayers. I know it. But God even works through seemingly more insignificant, more non-spiritual things. And I can testify to that. Um, during the latter part of my stay, I was actually able to, to have a few visitors, and that was nice. I got to see uh, my wife and, and my friends and I, I, you know, get to see them in person, and I was able to kind of press on just time, right? We didn't talk about anything significant. Well, Brandon and I talked about church a little bit, I guess, but that's what we do. Um, but just time. You know, Ray, Ray and I sat there and, and shot the breeze, and uh, it was incredibly encouraging. I don't think he knows how much that affected me that day. Well, now he does. Um, but once I, I went on from, from the hospital and I went to rehab, uh, they wouldn't allow any visitors again. And uh, strangely, you know, previously I had been in, in so much discomfort and uh, such a weird situation that, like, I didn't really register myself as lonely. I just kind of registered myself as going, like, highly crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm a loner, right? Like, I don't really need people in my life. That's the way I used to think. At least, you know, that's that's how I used to roll. The reality was that when I got to rehab and I, I was feeling better and I, I could move around a little bit, I was lonely. And... uh even then, God used the members of the body of Christ to encourage me in just the simplest ways. I mean, 
Ashley's cousin Dana, who some of you have met, um, she dropped off mac and cheese for me at the front front desk of the place several times. She lives in the area, uh, so uh, she got to drop that off, and that was you know that's just a small encouragement. Mac and cheese, people, a spiritual gift. You know, um, our friend uh, Stephanie Yarber uh, sent a, a card that there really should have been a letter. She filled the whole thing front and back, and like she probably should have just you know typed it up. But she wrote it on a on a card, and uh, and you know she filled it with encouragement and uh, and just a bit of laughter, you know, and that was that was a, a huge thing for me that day. <laughs> Maybe even like you want to talk about it, like seemingly in, in, insignificant stuff. My buddy Dale <laughs> picked out uh, an arm that would hold my cell phone on the on the side of the on the the hospital bed while I couldn't hold it for myself. Is that a spiritual gift? I don't know. Right, I would argue that it is, because just having that was helpful to me and encouraged me to to be able to, you know, just see what was going on in Slack on the days that my eyes were working okay. Um, I doubt that he was thinking, oh well, like I'm doing something uber spiritual here by picking out this arm uh, so that he can see his cell phone. But uh, it was a small mercy that God provided me during those days. Even the smallest things make a difference. Honestly, I, I, like I said, I don't really know how to put these in neat categories of spiritual giftings, all right? Uh, tech guy isn't something that God lists in his word as a spiritual gift, but the reality is he can use it. Um, maybe rather than worrying about doing the big flashy stuff or making huge impacts all the time, maybe we need to spend more time doing, doing the small, quiet things. Maybe the biggest gift that God has given us for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ is time. Time to write a card or time spent praying. Time spent correcting someone in love and then walking alongside them. Time spent caring for those that God has placed in our lives. Going to coffee. Stumbling through a few verses of the Bible with some study notes. Confessing sins to one another. Maybe we should focus more on doing the little things. And maybe then we can watch God work rather rather than taking the credit for it. Maybe we need to think about the little stuff. And we can spend all this time doing the little insignificant things that we're not, we're certain that under man's power would never affect anything really. But with God, anything is possible. We can do all that. Because we don't have to fear what happens after death. We can spend the time now because to live is Christ and to die is gain. In both life and death, the biggest gift is ours already. And even more so in eternity, we get God. And God is working. He's working in our pain and he's working in our joy. He's working in life and death. God is working for our good and for his glory even when we can't see it. And God knows I couldn't see it some of those days. But that's where the real fight comes in, right? Sometimes you can't see it. You're going to be tired and frustrated and tempting, tempted, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is working because in those days when I felt exactly that, 
you guys were there holding my arms up. If you guys don't know what that means, I'd preach a sermon on that a while back. But uh, Moses was on the top of a mountain, and he was supposed to hold his arms over his head with his staff. And when he would hold his hands up, they'd win the battle. When his arms went down, they'd start losing. What did he need? He needed that bulwark of support. He needed Aaron and her to hold his hands up. Maybe you don't know you're holding somebody's hands up today, but do the little stuff. I know that God will use it. There's an old document called the Heidelberg Catechism, which contains the questions and answers, uh, some questions and answers regarding the, the Christian and faith. And uh, I'd like to leave you with question one today. It asks this, particularly appropriate for this particular passage and for the life we live right now. What is your only comfort in life and death? A little bit long, so bear with me. If you want to close your eyes, you can listen. That's okay. It says that I am not my own, but I belong both body and soul in both life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. To sum it up, our hope is in Christ. In our second year as a church, let's live as if to live is Christ and to die as gain is true. Let's pursue holiness despite the cost. Let's preach the gospel to a world who refuses to believe it and let's continue to love one another as we are called, because at the end of this life, when everything is fading away, we will finally sing, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? As we enter into heaven, praising God for his grace and mercy. God's steadfast love endures forever. It's not just for today, for this life but for all eternity. Christian, brothers, sisters, this life is not all there is. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. Live for Christ as if death is gain and watch God work. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.